Welcome to Blockbusted, the movie review podcast where two recently abducted cows ask, is it just me or is your bum sore too? I'm Mitch. I'm Max. And today we are looking at Nope and Asteroid City. Hey Max, how's it going? Hi, I'm confused about the cows. Well, I'm more confused about the butt hurt. Yeah. The butt's so being hurt. The joke is about anal probing. Oh, anal probing. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. I have a note here that says, did joke make sense? I was about, I was actually going to ask you that. Yeah. Anyway. No. The, now, now it makes sense. Yeah. Like yeah. I had to, I had to like sort of stop and go like, oh yeah, but that might just be because I haven't eaten and I'm tired. I don't know. Dude, I have eaten, but I'm also tired. So I get yeah. it. Uh, so today's theme is aliens, uh, a spoiler alert for both Nope and Asteroid City. But before we get into that, Max, I have a couple of grievances with you. What? Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to rinse you down hard and fast. You ready? What Are you have I ready? done? No. So I listened to the recording, uh, well, not the recording, the finalized, uh, production that we created for last week. And yes. I just have some notes of how you portrayed me and also what you cut that I wish to, that I wish to um, put forward. <laughs> uh, first of all, I mentioned that I had a new mic and there was going to be a lot of background noises that were going to be not very nice to hear. You managed to cut them all out. So when I said that, and then for the rest of the episode, there's no other noises. I sound like an idiot. I can put the noises in. They're just not like no, I don't nice like, to listen to. I don't like that the fact that the noises are in, but you could have mentioned at some point that those noises weren't going to be in there, or you could have told me that like just cut them out. You could just cut it out. That would have been nice. Um, also, you didn't run the joke where uh, I said something about being not enjoying not being depressed in bed. Uh, you didn't bleep that out. So now I seem depressed to our listeners. Whether or not that is a an accurate representation of me, unimportant. I I don't appreciate being outed in such a manner. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Uh, lastly, I don't like the fact that you took out our ten minute uh, side talk about Michael Caine and what he's been up to these days. Uh, I thought that was really important and crucial to the podcast. Crucial. It was crucial. I thought a crucial point of topic um but beyond that excellent episode uh my dad said that our jokes have gotten better um from the last episode and i think we've already done them proud with um an anal probe joke in the first 20 seconds so this is this one that one's for you dad <laughs> love you i think beyond that we're good we're good to go we're good to go we're good to go to the first movie hey. first film we're doing today is nope Directed by Jordan Peele and released in 2022, it stars Daniel Kaluuya, Kiki Palmer, Brandon Perea, Mikhail Wincott, I think it's Mikhail, and Stephen Yin. Max, what is Nope about? Um, Nope. That's a review. Thank you. Yep. No, it's, a, it's um, Nope is about a man who has inherited a horse handling horse ranch. The horse training ranch. It's a horse training ranch for, for Hollywood pictures from his late father when he starts to suspect 
there's something out there. Out where? In this, out there in the in the sky. In the sky? In the sky. That's not the general out there. I think you should have been a bit more specific. Well, it's in the sky, but it's implied that it might have come from space. Anyway, it's a big alien that looks like a UFO, but it's an alien and it eats people. That's the movie. That's that's pretty much the movie. Yeah, um, and they try and get a picture of it for monies. Yeah, I, that's probably important, actually. The main character movie, so it's it's him, um, his sister who wants to become famous um, as some kind of movie star, and she thinks she can do this by capturing this creature on film, but the creature creates an anti-electrical field, so traditional film capturing techniques won't work there, cameras don't work, which leads them to all sorts of interesting ideas. Very much so. First off, I don't think it's an alien. You don't reckon it's an alien? I think it's a cryptid, which does fly in the face of our theme for this week, but (laughs) I don't think Jean Jacket, which is what they call it, I don't think Jean Jacket is an alien. I think it's a cryptid. I mean, I guess, but I just like, I love the idea of cryptids, but they don't make a lot of sense to me. But this does? No, okay, so hear me out. Hear me out. A cryptid, the idea of a cryptid is it's like one of something, but it has existed for a really long time. So if we're saying that like they've attempted to photograph aliens, they say from the 50s. So sure, it's feasible that a creature would live to 70 plus years old, um, assuming that the film is set when it was released. Wait, when do you think it was set? Like 2020s. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, because someone, some people thought, the people I was watching it with thought it was set in like the 70s or something, but then there was a Razer computer. There's a cell phone and a Razer computer. Yeah, and it, it was crazy it. that they thought that. And I and I said, did you watch the movie? Um, to which their reply was nothing. It turned out I was actually imagining them. No, but like the, the problem I have with cryptids is that there's only one of them and there's, no known multicellular organisms that asexually reproduce. Well, it's a cryptid. And I, I find it highly unlikely that the big alien looking thing, the big saucer, Jean Jacket. Jean Jacket. Has lived for 70 years because big creatures tend to die faster. But it's like a balloon thing slash jellyfish. Yeah. I mean, that's the one thing it's got going for it, right? Is it's like... Sort of like jellyfish-like. I just don't think it comes from space. So do you reckon it like it's just like moved in or like it's been there the whole time since? No, I think it, it traveled around and maybe it was like, it, it was, it, it's probably the uh, reason that people, some people go missing here and there and that type of thing. But then it moved in specifically there because Stephen Nguyen kept it there by feeding it. He, he, he taught it that this area was a good source of food. And then obviously, yeah, Stephen Yen tried to basically enter into a deal with it, but it didn't work out for him in one of the most horrifying scenes ever put to film. It's, um, oh, it was very reminiscent of, uh, I'm, I'm struggling to think so, uh, there's something else and I, it's not coming to, it's not something to my tongue, but yeah, very like body horror sort of stuff going on. The, the context here being that Stephen Ewan's character, who's little Jupiter, I think that was the character's name. I think so. Or he went by the stage name, little Jupiter. Uh, Jupe, Ricky. Jupe, or was Jupe. His, Ricky was his real name, but yeah, Jupe was like Jupe. his stage name or whatever. Yeah. And he, alongside with a crowd of people he's entertaining, get eaten by this alien, not alien, cryptid, 
well, jean jacket. Alien sled- I think we'll call it jean jacket. We should just call it jean jacket. Yeah, we'll call it jean look, jacket. Look, I'm not saying there's a definite answer. I just think personally it's a cryptid. But before we continue, though, I did forget to ask: Did you like it? Did you like the movie? Mostly, yes. I had a little bit of an issue with some of the character motivation. And we mentioned earlier, just like a lot of the character motivation is behind this idea that they've got to capture on film. And yeah, that's a cool idea, but also it's eating people um, and horses. This is my biggest complaint. I think we actually might have the same biggest complaint from what it sounds like. Yeah, it just feels sort of like, to an extent, I get it. Like, it's cool. It's new. You want to be able to capture it and become famous and whatever. But that's really dumb. Don't do that. (laughs) Yeah, I think, first of all, I, I like the movie as well. But I think the problem I have is the back third is really good in the action and what you're witnessing and the tension. And overall, actually, it's a, just a very tense and well done film. The issue I have with the back third, though, is that we're witnessing our characters do something that's in quotation mark really brave for really what's the what's the word um it's it's just not it's not heroic what they're doing you get these six scenes where like you're meant to be like yeah like because like there's the scene where um and it looks awesome and the music's so good when there's just a straight run for Daniel Kaluuya's character OJ where he's just just running directly away from Jean Jacket and on the horse on the horse yeah and then the Jean Jacket comes behind him and it's just it's an awesome shot the music's really good but then you remember that they're doing it for basically a vine like that's the that's that's it that's their motivation is do it for the vine do it for the vine do it for the vine so because i'm when i walked out the first because i saw this in cinema when it first came out last year and when i walked out my basically the first thing i thought was if maybe the, the fix could be that they were trying to get footage of it to send to the military or something to like try and get someone to come in and actually deal with this creature but no it's literally just oh no we want the money and to be famous. Yeah, I that that's yeah, that's also my biggest criticism with this film is it just feels like these characters we want like we want these characters to succeed and the way that they do it is clever and the the way that events unfold is really satisfying and thrilling, which I think is a good thing for this kind of film. But yeah, at the end of the day, a lot of the characters all feel selfish, but not in a way that is like interesting. It just is that's the whole motivation for the character is they want to succeed on effectively like the laurels of someone else. And like, I think to an extent, John Peel is trying to make a commentary on that. And make a commentary on. I mean, yeah, like the whole exploitation, like animal exploitation. That's the whole film's thing is exploitation of animals in in Hollywood, or not specifically Hollywood, just in film in general. That is the main contention, and I think it comes across enough in the rest of the film's stuff without it being the one thing that they also they're all getting really into. Also, I just want to point out that I said Mikhail before. I spelled Michael wrong in my notes. It's Michael Wincott. So for the people who are really pissed off for the past 10 minutes, maybe, I'm sorry, but I have noticed it's it's Michael, not Mikhail. (laughs) But yes, it's just rough because I mean, how much, just out of curiosity, how many Jordan Peele films have you seen? This is actually my first Jordan Peele film. That is crazy because the other two are so much, the other two are so much better. In every way. So us and Nope both have like this weird split following. You get a lot of people kind of going like, oh, I hate it. Oh, I like it. Love it. That type of thing. Get Out is the only one that's unanimously considered a really good film. I like all three. 
but it has been diminishing returns from Jordan Peterson. I do believe that us, uh, sorry, Good Get deal. Out was, what did I say? You said Jordan Peterson. Did I say Jordan Peterson? Yeah. Oh, fuck. Uh, beep it out. <laughs> Make it Jordan beep. And then it, it, it'll be funny. <laughs> Jordan Peele. <laughs> so, sorry, uh, Jordan Peele's films. Yeah, so the first one, Get Out, is his best film by far. It's so well-paced. It's so funny, but it's also so terrifying. Us is really weird. I don't know if you've heard much discourse about Us. I honestly, like, beyond hearing Get Out is really good and scary and, and like a really good thriller, and then hearing reasonably similar things, not to the same extent, but similar things about Us, um, that's pretty much the extent I've somehow managed to avoid a lot of it. Well, that's good. Keep Not intentionally. Try and keep it that way until you see it, because I think you'll appreciate the surprise of what it's about and all that. Us, I had a few issues the first time I watched Us. I don't know whether I ever rewatched it or if I just thought about it for a while and decided I actually liked it instead, or I watched enough video essays online about why it's good. And I was like, maybe it is good. But Us is very different compared to because get out does ground itself in some way and then us very much seems to act on its own rules which a lot of people didn't appreciate and you have to kind of go in and realize that it's not trying to act in the rules of our world it's acting in a it's it's, it's surreal it's not meant to be a one-to-one reality type thing but and then nope i was very excited for nope very excited for us as well um because john jordan peterson oh, fuck jordan peele <laughs> jordan peele is a brilliant director, I think. No matter wh- whether you actually like what his content of his films have or do not have, he shoots shit really well, and he knows he works really well with his um his cast. So Daniel Kaluuya has been in two out of his three films, and he's I think he's great. I don't know how, what you think, but I think Daniel Kaluuya was a brilliant actor. No, I, I, the the casting throughout I think was really good. I, one of the things I like about these kind of films, especially with I know John Peel's sort of made a name for himself doing it, working with lots of uh, people of colour because, like, he himself is a person of colour. No, but, like, what ends up happening is, and because he's sort of this, like, indie director, if you will. No, he works with Universal. No, but, like, you get like, he's got the, like, brand of, a, of an indie director. I don't know if he does. All right, look, I won't fight you on it, but I slightly disagree. I, I guess, like, you get to see more actors that you don't see all the time, and it's good to kind of go, I really like the experience of going into a movie and not really having any idea of who anyone is, and you can completely get lost in this is the character because I'm not thinking about the fact that they were in this or they were in that. For me, for this film, I hadn't seen any of these actors before. Yes, I, you I, have. I haven't seen. I know one actor you've definitely seen before. Are you sure? Oh, I can guarantee it. Because I went and oh, saw no. the movie that they're in with you. Oh boy! And I'm gonna I'm gonna whisper it in your ear right now. Are you ready? No. Daniel Kaluuya is in Black Panther. Is he? Yeah, he's the guy who portrays them. He's the husband to the bald lady. Who leads all the other bold ladies? Okay, I will believe you and look it up later. <laughs> you look it up now. Do I get a point? <laughs> am I am I getting a point? I, uh, I guess. <gasps> oh my goodness! My second point. Play the sound. Ooh. Oh, he was in. Ah, oh, he was also in Fifteen Million Merits. I don't know what that movie is or TV show. It's a episode of Black Mirror 
Oh, it's one of my yeah. It's one of my favorite it's, episodes. It's of Black the Mirror. second episode. It's the second episode. Yeah, it's the second episode of the first yeah. season. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, sorry, I I didn't recognize the name of the individual episode, but I have seen that episode. Yeah, he's also in the in Planet of the Dead in Doctor Who. He is. Yeah, that's yeah. Okay, okay. I have seen him in stuff, and jo- and Johnny English. <laughs> oh, is he the um the guy who helps Johnny English? He's like Johnny English reborn. Oh, he's in Johnny yep. English Reborn. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can't remember what we were talking about before, but I'm going to move on. I'm just going to move on to a new point. No, we, we were talking about, I was saying how oh, it's really good to see lots of actors that, it's really good to see lots of actors that you like don't recognize and that, see them really like take Not even on. Stephen Yuen though, like beyond the fact that you didn't realize you'd seen Daniel Kaluuya a bunch. Truly Stephen yeah, Yuen. Yeah, uh, probably. He's, I mean, he's also in Invincible, which I guess you don't really see seen, that. I haven't seen Invincible. Oh my God, you've seen like Invincible? animated, isn't it? His voice is pretty, not recognizable per se, but it does have a, uh, a certain, oh, I'm going to say recognizability to it, and that's just going to dethrone my whole thing. But <laughs> it's good. <laughs> it's a good, good show. Watch it. Maybe it is, is more just like the, like, there is this believability to all the characters that, like once you get past that sort of like their inherent motivation is a little bit weak. The actual like characterization that the actors put into it, you believe like you can get completely swept away in it. And I think that is especially good in this sort of like thriller kind of thing where you want to be completely invested the whole time that you watch this film because you want to be able to be like thrilled effectively. I totally agree. I think that. I actually do really like the character. I think that's what the biggest disappointment, where my biggest disappointment comes from is that I do really like the characters and I do really see them as likable and I want to see them succeed in something. I just think what they're trying to succeed in is really stupid and dumb. And that's what, that's what irritates me. I think is just because these characters are, they're not two dimensional enough for me to believe they're two dimensional justifications beyond for doing stuff. That's, I think that's the problem. It feels like if you'd given another look at their motivation and another think about like what, how does it relate? You get these conflicting like ideas of Emerald wants to be famous and is willing to do anything to achieve that. Whereas OJ wants to continue the legacy of his family, but is not really sure how, how to do that. I feel like something there could have been like fleshed out just a little bit more to really like not put them at odds, but like give them different reasons why they're hunting this thing. Yeah, just make it more creative and more fleshed out beyond gimme the money. Yeah, it's tricky because it sort of feels like Emerald, you believe, and you believe that she wholeheartedly wants to become rich and famous at any cost, whereas OJ sort of just feels like he's swept along for the journey. He doesn't really have any reason to do that beyond, like, he wants to look after his sister, which, like, again, like, it's fine, but it feels like... there could have been something else there or more of a point of conflict. Like you could have more, I mean, I guess it's implied, but you could have more tied it in that maybe getting this creature on film will provide more business to OJ's currently failing one because his the horse ranch isn't doing very well. He's constantly selling his horses to um uh, Stephen Yen's character who's then proceeding to feed them to the creature. Or even or even tying it back to his father's death, his father well, yeah, gets needing up. to get back at the creature that killed his dad because that's his dad was killed by the creature spitting out a bunch of gunk after having a good feed. And it's like again like the film implies this and I think like it doesn't 
need to act- actively say like the creature killed my dad um and does enough job of explain like doing that doing a really good job of like show don't tell but it would have been nice to even see something where he's a little bit more aware of that and a little bit more of aware of yeah this idea that maybe he wants to get uh revenge on this like creature maybe if we just saw like a bit more anger in him because he's a very laid-back character and which is fine but i think that would then have made if he actually eventually got angry more powerful as well, because it's obvious that this emotion has just been running through him for so long. And you see that like, he's not like got over his father's death. He's got the coin hanging in that bag on the wall. Yeah. The coin that fell into his dad's eye. Yeah. And then that's like sort of mirrored again when in that final scene where Emerald is trying to take a photo of the, of the creature through the like wishing well photo booth thing. And it's got all the, like coins all over the ground that the creatures spat out and so like it doesn't it doesn't have to like set it up that it's you you just sort of feel like oh well could they have tied that more into oj's character i think it's just that that's the issue it's just it's just this one last connection we require because otherwise it's a really clever really clever film i do think the other issue i kind of have is i just do kind of it does lose steam in the second third i'd say once the mystery is kind of prop- more properly set up and you kind of know what they're trying to do until that confrontation at the farm. I think the movie slows down a smidgen. There is like that little bit beforehand when they, they, they're kind of they're trying to go back and forth from the house. And there's that really funny part where uh, the creature's hovering over Daniel Kalua in the, um, the horse. He's, he's got the horse on the horse caravan thing at the back and he's just in the truck. And then he, he looks out and he goes, nope, nope. That's very funny. Like the use of nope as a word just in general throughout this film is very funny and very clever. And it's used in multiple different ways. It's emphasized the most against the creature, but other people say it just in general to other things as well, which I think very funny. But just in general, though, before that part, between, I'd say, the barn scene where there's the fake alien children who freak him out, which is a really good scene. I don't know, did that scene get you when you were watching it? I'm not going to lie. I, so I had just come home from work and I chucked the movie straight on because we're going to record and I was still sort of settling in and I was like half paying attention. And then that happened and I was sitting with my partner and she's like, Oh my God, like it's melting out of the ground. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And we'll bring around the movie a little bit and watch it again. I'm like, no, that, that it's just squatting. It's just someone squatting. It definitely, like, yeah, I can see, I can see it working. I just wasn't in the right mindset right at that point. Like, give it, give me five more minutes on the film, and then like, I was, I was in. Uh, in a cinema when it first came out, that scene was one of the most terrifying things I've seen in a in a film. Because then watching it back now, you're less scared because I know it's just kids. But when you're like, oh shit, are we seeing the alien? Because at this point, you don't know it's not alien smaller aliens at the very least either you you don't know what it is and you're like oh fuck is that is that it have we just seen the aliens and the fuck that these things are what are they doing that move what is going on and a whole a whole cinema of people are having the exact same reaction to you and it's Mm. dark and it's loud and and all that like that's a that was a really good scene um, and that's about as scary as the whole movie gets because it doesn't get as scary ever again. I think it gets tense it, again. It gets tense effectively. But and never as scary. 
I wanted to talk to you also about um, the use of jump scares. Now, I know, I know we talked last week how a bit like about your thoughts on jump scares. If a movie just says sup fucker to me, I will be sup fucked. But I feel like there are a lot of times where like there w- were jump scares in this film. Like, don't get me wrong. But I feel like most of the time they felt earned. I'd agree. It didn't feel like it was there were any like really cheap jump scares or ones that you were sort of expecting. Sometimes you can see in a film where they're building up to like, oh, they're making a tense moment so that they can make a jump scare. I really appreciated the jump scares that were really effective and felt earned. Like um, my favorite one, I think, is when he's sitting in the truck with the horse float and the like the horse statue falls through the windscreen and you like I sat up in my seat I was like holy shit but it didn't feel cheap and it didn't feel undeserved which a lot of jump scares do and I think being able to use that effectively is really quite a hard thing to do because it relies on having a certain amount of tension built throughout the whole film as well as setting things up in such a way that you can utilize them again later I totally agree yeah and like this film does it on multiple occasions and that that's just one of one example of a few but yeah i feel like it uses it really effectively did you get scared uh not this rewatch not not the rewatch because i knew what was happening i just knew what was going to happen basically but in the actual in cinema dark people having the same reactions as you yeah there was obviously this as i said mentioned before the scene with the aliens and then there's the the big one in that scene is when you get the shot behind where you're looking behind at him and you see behind him and the aliens dangle or the kid is dangling behind him with the alien mask and the tension's being built so well up until that point that's like a oh shit and then it 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 gets to dissipate dissipate in a very humorous manner though because he punches punches it out (laughs) which is very funny the horse head one is also yeah it's also really good because you know that the monster has that horse head and you kind of just forget about it and then you're like it gets the 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 monster drops the horse head. Jean Jacket drops the horse head, and you go, "Yeah." I like. I, I don't. Even, I don't even think like you like you necessarily forget about it. Like, the movie makes like it doesn't go like, "Oh yeah, it ate it." And remember how it ate it? It's got the sorry. Like, it's it's more like what I mean by you forget. You have it. You forget that that yeah, can it's be like used in against the back you. Of your mind. Yeah, yeah. You you think you you because you're you're so preoccupied with having just watched the terrifying scene of. Like all the blood rushing down the house and yeah, that stuff. And then they drive, it drops the horse head back on you. That stuff is, I think that's, that's more what I mean by you forget. It's not like you've definitely forgotten to say it's that you've had other things to preoccupy you. And then you're like reminded of the horse head. But like, it, it's, it's not even that like, it's trying to do sort of a throwback. It's not like it ate it earlier. No, exactly. now it's like, Oh, remember this thing from earlier and every shot that the, that the creature was in you had that those flags that were attached to the horse coming out of it because it like had the horse and you were aware every time that you saw the alien like yeah it, or the creature sorry it like, Jean jacket eaten this horse this like plastic not plastic this like horse statue which had a, a tiny horse cock by the way it was a very small penis for what a horse should have. Um, but then when it drops, it doesn't feel like, oh, remember that thing? It's like a the, that thing's there been there the whole time. Yeah, I when I, yeah, when I say you forget, I don't mean like you've completely forgotten. It's more like there's been other things preoccupying you, and then it's like not reintroduction, but it's like, oh, and then there's also remember this thing? Yeah. So I just think overall clever. And it's just what Jordan Peele, not Peterson, does. He is clever he's super clever he just know he loves horror i think that's the big thing and he knows how to 
use it to tell good, interesting stories. I, I think horror is a really interesting genre because it's typically like demarcated as one of two things, either the thing that people go into right after coming out of like film school education, or at least my experience has been that people go straight into making horror because it's a really cheap genre to produce in. And then as a result, you get a lot of really bad horror or lots of B-grade horror and the genre is saturated with that sort of thing. So to see not only like high quality, but like higher budget horror is not exactly the most common thing. I would agree. And there's a, there's movies that do it. High budget, high quality horror is not really the most common thing to get. And it's quite nice to see that there's at least a director who is willing to. There's there's that, that's not true. There's multiple directors at the moment in the like contemporary film scene that are choosing to make horror genre films. Mega horror, yeah. I do want to say quickly say sorry. I don't think this movie fully counts as a horror. I was saying horror before. There's horror elements to this, but it's more a thriller than a horror, I'd say. But yeah, sorry, not to jump on your point. It's that I definitely do agree though. Like, yeah, it it's good to see that directors are more embracing what horror can be creatively than the cash cow that like Friday the 13th or Yeah, I mean like and, yeah. and again, like those those films like I, I'm a really big fan of some of the like the eight seventies, eighties like classic horror. Which ones? Which ones would you say like are your favorites? I I really like Halloween. My, like Halloween's probably like my favorite uh, uh, of the few that I've watched. But like I know we watched um yeah I showed you Friday the Thirteenth Friday the Thirteenth <laughs> for the um, meme yeah no and, and those movies still stand up and for 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 a good reason um or mostly stand up for for a good reason one of them stands up for a good reason the other one stands up because it's just really dominant has kevin bacon figure out which one is which on your own <laughs> a lot of horror has ended up being either milked for money in hollywood or low quality easy to produce stuff and every now and again you get a really good little indie thing that someone's made and every now and again you get a good thing that comes out of hollywood's um, cash cow milking machine. I'm a big Scream fan. Big Scream fan. Sorry, I love Scream. But most of the time, you don't get that, and and it's uh, it's really refreshing to see um, directors like John Peel really taking genres that are notoriously maligned and doing something interesting with them, and then using them to talk about like actual issues as well. And th- this is something else that I know, again I haven't seen any other of Jordan Peele's films that have heard a lot about the dis- like the discussion around them. And he, as a creator, is unashamedly makes his films about stuff. So we, t- we talked about this one being about animal cruelty. Exploitation. Ex- animal exploitation in cinema. And honestly, I don't have a lot of context for that. I haven't worked with animals in cinema. Um, and don't haven't read a lot about it. Uh, are you more educated than I am? The closest thing that you and I really get to context is when I talked about the abyss last week and nearly drowning a rat. Oh, that's the that's the three out of five episodes I've referenced the abyss. Let's see if I can keep the um keep it going. How many times can I reference the abyss? It's not even my favorite James Cameron. I don't know. Ugh. I the biggest one we could really talk about is the fact that that they nearly drowned that dog recently. When I say recently, a few years ago. Oh, for yeah, a dog's in, life or a dog's purpose. 
Yeah, it was a, it was a dog's purpose, and they, and they threw yeah, a dog was, into like a rapid machine. Oh, sorry, a, a rapid machine is in um a, a, a fake of machines set to make fake rapids like in water, and the dog went under and couldn't get up, and they had I think I think it's fine, but it did nearly drown, and. And I believe what happened was what was really poor was that you could see there was footage beforehand that showed basically the producers or some hands or something like tech, tech their hands or something pushing the dog in when it clearly didn't want to go in. It just was not happy to do so and it was terrified. So it's it's so easy to hand wave and say, yeah, look, in the 60s, they made westerns where they shot horses and they had to although they didn't actually shoot horses but you'd in the movie shoot the horse and you'd have to do something to make the horse fall over or something like that but it's still something that we're doing nowadays we're still not treating animals yeah, correctly it, it, it is it, it's still an issue i just like i guess like it's not at the forefront of my knowledge so I was, uh, i'm just like yeah like again that's probably the most recent major case that i've heard of it's the only one i can remember of recent memory yeah the other like takeaway that I got from this, and I, I, I want to talk about this more as well when we move on to the next film, because I feel like they interplay a little bit, Ooh, is nice. the idea of stardom as it relates to being a foreign or alien idea to the human psyche. And I, I don't mean for this to get out of hand, like a little, like to like, uh, you know, um, uh, intellectual for you. Remember when I pitched this show as a comedy show to you? Remember when that happened? Yeah. Um. No, but like, I feel like there's there's this idea running through this film where the alien is a vector for Emerald's character to become famous, and the way I sort of read, or the way a way of reading that is that you're looking at stardom as this alien idea and this alien thing that isn't something that we really should be aspiring to because it is completely unknowable to us. And then the way that I would take this further is that they clearly demarcate Jean Jacket in this film as a predator, um, a predator animal. And from that, you sort of make this link that, well, stardom is a predator of the people who choose to pursue it, especially for the people who are unsuccessful in pursuing it. Yep. I'm sorry. You're blowing my brain. It's giving my brain a little goggle on like, oh, oh no. Yeah. Please continue. But it's sort of, I, I don't know. I feel like you could read, you could read it as a way that it's like, there's, there's a, there's a level to which attempting stardom is like facing the mores of, of a predator and the the way there's no real way to overcome that without sheer luck and the only true way to like avoid that completely is to avoid it completely which is why they're like again this is reading into it maybe a bit but they don't the only way that they successfully avoid the creatures to not look at it i see what you're saying i think did, did, what we, what what did you think the film had like other deeper meanings? Don't feed horses to weird things in the sky was what I got out of it. But also just don't don't try. I think yeah, don't don't look at something that you're trying to not get the attention of. 
that's and and I guess you could extrapolate that to a more meta level of don't if don't try and do or interact with something that will later hurt you like that type of that type I, I yeah I could I get what you're saying I just don't know if I have the brain power to really like rebut that I wasn't expecting this I was just ready to talk about the Scorpion King cameo yeah I mean uh, we can talk about the Scorpion King cameo I haven't actually seen Scorpion King I've only seen I the haven't Mummy either. it's the Mummy the like the remake of the Mummy with Brendan Fraser the trilogy I think it is yeah it's a trilogy is one of my housemates favorite like series of movies the correct uh except for the third one it shouldn't be right the third one is as well i i i don't know what like which one specifically one and two are good third one sucks ass so i've heard a lot about these movies i haven't actually watched any of them i haven't watched you gotta be fucking kidding me i've not watched any i've watched the original the mummy i was there when we watched that yeah, I and I was so bored. It was a, it's it's a really slow film. And it's, it's not a good not one. It hasn't scary, held up. It hasn't held up. Thrilling. The mummy is just a dude who's kind of like, he kind of looks a bit dopey. <laughs> he needed a new nap. But I haven't watched any of the ones with Brendan Fraser. And I haven't watched Scorpion King. Oh, well, Scorpion King is like the spinoff, which I actually haven't seen any of those of. Yeah, I've only seen Mummy. Well, the I've seen the three original. Well, original three of the Brendan Fraser films, the, the all three of those. And then I also saw the Tom Cruise one, which is tangentially related and is horrible and do not watch because it's bad. But yeah, look, I mean, I just, I mentioned the Scorpion King reference as a jerk. I just, <laughs> I look, I, I appreciate the level that you've gone into to mention, but I just have, I don't have a way to really rebut. I can't, speak to it i didn't see it i didn't see it like that not say you're incorrect i just didn't see it and i think what you said is really interesting though and i do think it warrants more discussion but we are running out of time because we're on a clock today last point then i got one one more point then go ahead sure i really loved the creature design i really loved the way that they turned the flying saucer as an idea so it starts off as it's a flying saucer with little aliens inside it because that's the idea that we have that's just like the the um the preconceived notion the preconceived notion of uh, of what we think aliens should be like um thanks to popular culture i'm thinking close encounters of a third kind et men in black men in black yeah is probably a good example as well independence day pacific rim when it's not the kaiju but the flying saucer with the little aliens turns into the flying saucer is the monster, which is a really cool and unique idea. And I really enjoyed that twist. Yeah, it is a really, it comes out of nowhere in a good way in that you're like, oh, right. Yeah, that, of course that could be it. Right. Yeah. Like how, how did no one think of that? But my favorite is this sort of like final form sort of thing it takes up in the in the third act of the film the, where the biblically accurate angel the, yeah exactly and it, it it looks really weird and like fleshy and yuck in a good way i'm really i'm really big fan of this sort of like sort of like fleshy creature design i'm really struggling to think of other good examples of this the only thing that's come to mind is that like doctor who episode with the lady who's like the skin oh the lady who is just skin and she keeps requiring moisturization yeah like 
but like that's not a good example of this at all. Um, um, I guess like maybe um, the way that the dude melts in RoboCop. Have you seen RoboCop? Come on, you guys seen RoboCop? He shoots a rapist in the dick. I I um am lacking, dude. In a we lot run of departments of film podcast. Stop watching. Stop rewatching. Um, what's his name? Uh, the guy who did. Oh no, I he's done so many movies, and the other one that came to mind was Wind Rising. Miyazaki. That one. Why was that the one that came? I haven't even seen that one. I've seen other ones. I've seen other ones. Stop rewatching his shit. Watch a good movie like Robocop. <laughs> Stop rewatching Spirited Away. Stop watching Overblown. Stop rewatching Spirited Away and watch Robocop. <laughs> Put that weeb shit down. Watch a good American film. <laughs> and then double shot, shotgun it with... um. What, Robocop 2? All three mummy films. No, don't watch Robocop 2. Don't waste your time. Watch all two mummy films. Don't watch the third one. It's bad. And then also don't watch the Tom Cruise one. Watch all the six Mission Impossibles instead. You can skip two. Oh, there's seven now. Watch all six. Number two doesn't exist. But no, I really liked the creature design I think they're really interesting so a really like it felt very artistic in a good way it felt very like flowy and it's creative like this like it's really hard to describe what it looks like and that's probably a good thing but I really enjoyed what they did with it I'm glad that they didn't just leave it as like flying disc as well um, yeah it like had a final form and you could tell like it, it, it added to the intensity of the finale because it became this bigger just more weird thing like a weird jellyfish eldritch god creature yeah and i i just really enjoyed the design of it and the style to it and i even just like there's a shot where the it goes on its side and you can see the wind rippling past it is you can sort of tell like how fleshy this thing is now I, I really enjoyed that not just having it as like oh it's a disc um but like they saw um it very much was like it's a ufo oh no it's a it's a creature but it didn't outstay its welcome which uh, which are which i think is a testament to the film so rating what's your rating i'm giving nope three and a half Munched up horses out of five. So did, they, did a full horse get eaten? Three full, full horses got eaten, and then there's a half at like the back end of a horse? Like fell out or something, yeah. Ew. We got stuff falling out of it. I gave it three Akira slides and then Akira skid. True? I totally forgot about I was like, I watched it, I'm like, that's 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 the Akira slide. Yeah, there's the Akira slide. Um, Jordan I love, an, Peele, I love the Akira Jordan slide. Peele, Jordan Peele is a weeb. <laughs> Confirmed. He's also just re-watching The Wind Rises over and over again. Wind Rising? Whatever it's called. The Wind Rises. Shut up. No one cares. Uh, but yeah, three Akira slides and an Akira skid. The skid being a half. I don't know if that came through. But no, it did. It okay, did. Okay, good. I, I feel the need to after after the probing joke. I feel the need to uh, yeah. run the sound. Run the sound. <laughs> it is now time for the highly anticipated Maxim Mitch's mini media. Uh, you got to go first last week, so I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in this week. I, as you know, I hate television so much. Right, television is basically. 
a hidden movie and I hate cowards. And also I was really dismissive last week of the television show you watched, whether it was because it was a television show or if it was because it was Sonic. Up to I the think date. it was. I feel like it was mostly because of Sonic, but yeah, but it um, didn't help that it was a television show. <laughs> anyway, I watched the first season of The Bear. Oh yeah, it's it's been on my list. So it's really good. It's a good show. <laughs> uh, believe it or not, um, I do. So it turns out I do actually watch television. It's it's a lie whenever I say I don't. My stance on this podcast. I look. I watched quite a few things recently, but I think the one that stuck out most recently, uh, most uh, prom- prominently, is. The bear. It's just really good. The main actor is brilliant. I'd seen him before in the first two seasons of Shameless. I stopped watching Shameless because I was worried it was going to start annoying me. It hadn't started annoying me yet, but I was pretty sure it was going to. And no, just good. I won't say much more than that. It's about cooking. And I, why would I bring it up if I don't talk more about it? Um, I think just it's 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 interesting. It's quick as well. Um, I was surprised to find out that the episodes were about twenty to thirty minutes long. Oh wow! Obviously not twenty at the lowest, but in that range, it's about maybe thirty-eight at most, something like that. Yeah, like, like that it's, twenty-two, thirty-eight range. Yeah, something along those lines, which is good because I don't like it when TV shows outstay their welcome. This is legitimate, by the way. This isn't <laughs> fake. Mitchell hates television. I get, I do get irritated with shows because I find that just sometimes some episodes just go too long because they have to meet quotas and stuff like that. But I think it ends in the perfect way. I, I think season two is completely out. Uh, yeah, season two will be is completely out, which means uh, I could go straight into it, but I'm also watching a different show now anyway, so I'll do it later. But yeah, no, give it a go if you haven't already. You probably already have. Max and I are behind the curve on this one. We're always behind the, behind the curve. That's how we that's how we do this. It's true. We're, we're trying to capitalize on behind the curve. We're trying to capitalize on Asteroid City this week about two weeks after it already came out in america so that's actually not our fault though that's more australia's fault stop being so far away australia but max what have you been doing this week what have you participated in speaking of being behind the curve i have finally picked up the switch game pokemon legends arceus (laughs) you said arse for those of you who don't play video games or don't don't keep up with the latest video game trends Pokemon Legends Arceus is a more traditional RPG as opposed to the turn-based RPGs that Pokemon made its name with. Set in a early version of one of the one of the um, existing regions within the game. Um, it's the Gen back. One region, right? No, it's actually the Gen Four region. It's a, oh, is it's it? a okay. So this came out along around the same time that the Generation Four, so the uh, Brilliant Diamond, Shining Pearl, um, those remakes came out. And it's set in a region called Hiswe, which is a older version of the region that Diamond and Pearl were set in, which was Sinner. And it's an exploration of what Pokemon would have been like when they first started catching Pokemon and the more tired the when the beliefs are more tied to the um, beliefs of the belief systems of gods and things like that. Um, and how that works in the Pokemon universe. And I really have been enjoying the story on that behalf. Um, it is a bit Pokemon-y, if, if you will. There's tropes that you'd expect and the writing's not your sort of like Last of Us level epic story sort of thing. But I've been enjoying it. I guess I'm about halfway through. The story sort of started to pick up now. My biggest criticism with it is the gameplay loop is a little bit tiring when you get to certain points you required to meet certain quotas to be able to make it to the next area which is a little bit frustrating uh given that the 
traditionally Pokemon has been pretty good at um, hiding that behind beating a gym battle or something like that. Yeah, but beyond that, I've been having a really good time with it. It's been good fun to go around and throw balls of mud at things and learn about the ancient Pokemon world. Not ancient. It's like... A couple hundred years? A couple hundred years. Like early civilization, post-colonial. I don't know. <laughs> I was going to actually... Because I'm not a huge Pokemon fan. I don't really enjoy the idea of how it works, especially since I've heard most of the more recent ones are broken as all hell. Uh, but a Pokemon Legend Arceus is one that I thought maybe I'd get into eventually. I Too many other games... I'm playing right now to really start and also no money but yeah uh no I'm it's good I'm glad you're enjoying it that sounds good that sounds like a good fun time yeah it, it's definitely one I I it, that's worth checking out especially if you're not like yeah I, I I'd probably if you're not convinced by the Pokemon formula this definitely like is enough of a um step away from that that it might be worth having a look into Pokemon Legend is the game name and then Arceus is the subtitle, right? Or it's unclear. They they haven't made any in, in classic Pokemon style. They haven't actually said whether they're going to do anything more with that. Whether they're going to have more Legends games or whether this is just the game that they're going to make in this style and then they're going to keep going back to other ones. Would you want to see more like this? I think given. Pokemon's really schedule at the moment. It it probably all right to be like to wait it out a bit. Um, I think it's good that they're that they're playing around with different styles of gameplay, and given the fact that you know this the most recent one now, so that's Scarlet and Violet ninth generation. Sorry, is that not is that not like another? I just thought I saw some stuff for another Pokemon. There's DLC that's about to come out. Oh, okay. Yeah, given that this is like the ninth, I think ninth generation of different Pokemon games in the mainline series, there's over a thousand different Pokemon now and most of them have alternate forms. Um, It would sort of be nice to like step back from that really like consistent release schedule that they've sort of been doing for the last couple of years and experiment more with different ideas like this one. And I'd be happy to see them continue to experiment more and not necessarily like stick to this as a formula, but do different things with the franchise and take it to different places. I know I talked about Pokemon sleep the other week. So, but like even stuff like that is like, I think it's a interesting use of like what you can do with a property like that. Yeah. Well, no, it sounds, sounds good. Um, sounds like a good fun time. Alrighty. So just a quick disclaimer, uh, Max and I unfortunately were interrupted during our last recording session. Usually we record all the way through uh, both films, Mitch and Max's mini media. And just on, yeah, so last last time though, uh, we, we record on a Tuesday night, but I was too, uh, what's the word? Busy cheating on movies with me. I was going to say hopeful in fitting everything into one night but yeah i went and saw another movie and it cut it into our recording time so this is maybe four days later on a saturday morning both of us haven't got the sleep out of our eyes yet it's not too late on a saturday morning but it's a saturday morning and it's freezing yeah just just just, um in case we sound different in case we somehow say something that completely contradicts some uh a point we made earlier in the in the podcast you can hear someone doing the washing in my house can you i had the washing machine go off before so i don't know i I can't hear it i mean 
let's keep that in and then i want you to edit that out so it's, you sound silly like i did last week <laughs> saying oh you got to hear my chair creak and there's no chair creaks at all anyway <laughs> asteroid city <laughs> Uh, directed by Wes Anderson and released in 2023, it stars Jason Schwartzman, Scarlett Johansson, Tom Hanks, Jeffrey Wright, Brian Cranston, and many, many more than just that. All right, Max, please explain to me in full detail, including the theory that you said that you had, what is Asteroid City about? All right. So, Asteroid City is a made-for-TV movie about the creation of a play called Asteroid City, which itself may or may not be based on true events. Yeah, you've got a couple of layers. So, you have Brian Cranston as the TV presenter, who's sort of giving an overview of how the production of this play played out. Then you have the play's director, um, played I can't remember the name, but played by... Oh, Edward Adrian Norton. Brody. Oh, fuck. No, uh, Adrian Brody was the director. Um, Edward Norton was the writer, I believe. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. Because um, it's always Edward Norton at the top writer. And Adrian- yeah. Yes, yeah, sorry. Yes, it's it's Edward Norton at, as the writer and Adrian Brody as the director of this play that stars Jason Schwartzman, Scarlett Johansson, Maya Hawke, Tom Hanks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, set in a small town in the middle of the de- American desert where a group of eclectic people are meeting to go to a science fair of sorts for high achievers um, when they are visited by an alien. And the movie sort of about how, how all these characters deal with it. Jeff Goldblum playing the alien as well, which was... Not to say that the movie isn't funny, but I do think it got the biggest laugh from me just seeing that in the credits at the very start that Jeff Goldblum is the alien. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting because like there's a lot of like the, the way the movie's told, the way the story is told is it keeps flipping back and forth between like just seeing the actual play um, as it were, which is all the elements in color. So whenever you're seeing the scenes of them in the desert at the truck stop at the motel that's all meant to be like in the play but then you've got these sections rather like still quite large and quite important sections that are in black and white which are the like tv special of the play but it then it does some weird like breakage with that near the end of it but um what you'll notice is actually the within the play itself the alien is a stop motion puppet but in the tv special section there's um, it's actually just a one-shot cameo of Jeff Goldblum as the alien talking to Adrian Brody's character. No, it's not. Jason Schwartzman's character as he fails to understand the meaning of the play. And I guess that's really the general conceit of it is that the play is meant to be something or the movie is meant to be something that's not necessarily meant to be understood. Like the alien? Like, well, like the alien. The alien's representative of that, but you get to the thesis of the film where Jason Schwartzman says, I've been performing this for like weeks and weeks and weeks, and I don't know what this play is about. And I know we came out of the cinema and you were like, I don't know what that was about. Well, so yeah, we saw you, your partner, and I went and saw the film together because we tr- when when we see new releases, we try and watch them together just to kind of both have seen them in the same 
time and also just gives us a chance to actually see each other in real life, not through a computer screen. But it's, not, it's also fun. We get to hang out and watch a movie. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah, like it's, it's also fun for us to go see movies together and, and it gives us a, like a weekly thing kind of as well. We get to go see these movies together. Yeah, so the movie ended. I turned to you and your partner. You were in the middle between the two of us. And I said, I don't think I understood that play. And your partner also uttered a similar, a similar sentence. You said you think you understand the play. Now, for, oh, hold on, you, we watched it Saturday. So a week ago, a week later, I've been waiting to hear your theory because you said you had a theory, but I told you not to tell me until we did the uh, podcast. You're telling me your theory on what the play is about is you're not meant to understand it. Yes. Oh, sorry, not the play, just the movie in general. Yes. So I feel cheated a little bit. It's been a week. I've been I've been trying to figure I've been trying to figure this film out for the whole past week. Not not actively. It's been kind of in the back of my mind. I've had other things to do, unfortunately. I would love to be able to just sit around and think about a singular film <laughs> for a week. But you you say with such certainty and such confidence that you understood the movie. You're an intelligent young man, so I believed you. Your answer is actually no, I didn't, but I think that's the point. <laughs> okay, so I, I think there's more more to it than that. And I think Wes Anderson likes to do this with his films where he makes stories that aren't necessarily entirely comprehensible, but that's sort of the point of what he's getting at in that cinema and storytelling specifically aren't inherently mediums that need to be linear narratives that make complete sense all the time and ca- and people um and characters in those narratives don't have to be rational and do things that have any real sense of like inherent motive or like reason to them people just do stuff because they do stuff and that's i think he really goes hard on that thesis with this film there's a couple of different aspects that i took away from it in regards to that. So the first one is like he, the way that he structures this story is a story within a story within a story. And what I sort of took away from that was the idea that every element by which we as the audience were removed was a level of distortion that separates us from the true intent of any character. So obviously Asteroid City is this play that itself is being produced. That's the first level of distortion, which then is also being recorded for television, which is the second distortion, which is then being played on a cinema screen in which we are sitting in front of. Um, And that's the third distortion, I would argue, that we, the audience, are an active participant in this film. Ow, my brain. (laughs) Yeah, you thought that my take on Nope was... um... Anyway, so like... With each level of distortion, we get further and further away from truly understanding what any character intends to do and why they do what they do. And this is referenced in the creator of the film's like discussion with that classroom. In there's a couple of scenes where he's sitting in front of a class of upcoming actors, theater students, with Willem Dafoe as their teacher, and he tells them all to sleep. And he keeps coming back to this idea of like the play and by proxy of the film is meant to enter the audience into a level of like sleep, sleep-like abstraction by which nothing really makes sense. It's all sort of a, like a false lucidity and you're not really meant to understand exactly why anything happens, but it's clear that like it, it's there for a reason, but not for any real discernible reason. Right. 
but of course, what else would it be? I think like that. I think the clearest example of that as an idea is the scene where uh, Jason Schwartzman's character puts his hand on the griddle, on the electric griddle. He burns his hand on the griddle and Scarlett Johansson's character, who's in the motel room across the like path from him, says, why did you do that? And he just says, I don't know. And I, I really think that is what this film comes down to is is the idea of like, well, we can put all these things in here and we can make it look like there's some intent to it. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really have to mean anything. And if it does, do we have to understand it? Right. Okay. Did you like the movie? <laughs> I really did. I look, I like I like movies like this. I've I like Wes Anderson's style. I enjoy these sort of like things that I can read into a bit more than maybe I should or maybe you <laughs> want me to for the sake of entertainment but i like i enjoy engaging with films like this i think the story is engaging i think the performances are all fantastic as they typically are with wes anderson's films he works with some really amazing actors and this film's no exception to that and as always like his the cinematography that his team's able to put together is great the editing is great the set design is great and I really feel like this is definitely one of my more favorite works of his late, of, of his later work. What would you say is your favorite Wes Anderson? I, I really like the Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty popular one. So I'd probably that. That one makes a lot more sense than this one. Yeah, but that's also like a story with a point. Yeah, that's true. I think um, Asteroid City kind of, it feels like the culmination. And obviously I don't think he's done, but it feels like the culmination of just everything that is his style and his, it's the most Wes Anderson, Wes Anderson has ever been. It feels. You reckon? I reckon this is like the ultimate Wes Anderson film because recently he's been really into the multiple levels of something to make one story. Like uh, French Dispatch is a film about a magazine that has these three stories. Uh, I think because my, my favorite <clears throat> Wes Anderson, and this is the basic bitch choice, is uh, Grand Budapest Hotel. Basic bitch voice, uh, choice. Can't even remember what it's called. But yeah, I think I've been, actually it's that or Fantastic Mr. Fox, which... Yeah, that, that, the his two animated projects I'm really big fans of. I don't like Isle of Dogs. You, I don't know how you don't like Isle of Dogs. It's so... it's. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed watching it. I really enjoy... I just got bored. It wasn't that I actively disliked it. I just found it boring. That said, he's actually working on a, another animated project that's going straight to Netflix at the end of this year based on another Roald Dahl. That's right. It was a set of Roald Dahl short stories. Yeah, I think it's short stories, yeah. Uh, well, talking about his animation, I mean, this film has a bit of stop motion with the um, alien. Uh, it's got the characters. The, the, it's, it's the most... A character has been Wes Anderson, I think, than any of his other work. It's the most Wes Anderson characters. It's the worst Wes Anderson cast slash characters I've ever seen, except for Bill Murray. Minus Bill Murray. But they got a better version of Bill Murray with uh, Tom Hanks. I think Tom Hanks is the better Bill Murray. I think Tom Hanks did a great job and I really enjoyed his performance and he suited the character really well. But I also was watching it and went, yeah, I could see that being Bill Murray. I could see it being Bill Murray, but I wouldn't want it to be Bill Murray. I want it to be Tom Hanks. I think Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks is a much better actor than Bill Murray and also probably a better person too in general, as far as I'm aware. But yeah, I, th I think... 
I I liked Asteroid City. I think it drags in the middle though. Once the lockdown first starts, and I know this is actually probably where most of the meat of the movie is, but it's also where it becomes kind of the most incomprehensible. Uh, no, it's most incomprehensible at the end, but the incomprehensibility in the middle is less overt and it just feels like at least for me, it just felt like I was missing shit more than anything else. I wasn't watching it and going, oh, I think I'm not meant to understand this, which at the end, that's when they start getting really weird. And I'm like, oh, maybe I am actually not meant to understand this. But in the middle, the incomprehension levels, are, it is enough there for you to comprehend, but not enough to fully. It's the transition between like narrative to character study. And I think that's that's ultimately what this film is, is it starts off as a narrative and it slowly slowly progresses into a like true character study with very limited narrative to hold it together which is fine i just think it lost me in that transition a little bit but then once it fully transitioned by the end i was back in it's just that middle drags a bit for me whereas i think other work he's had such as uh royal tenenbaums uh, fantastic mr fox even uh moonrise kingdom the, the, the middles don't drag it's not something that i don't think that's like him specific i think just this story and this type of thing he was trying to tell didn't work in the middle for me it's been getting really poor reviews though have you seen, like not not overtly but like i haven't i haven't actually looked at any i had a quick look it's very i say mixed it's almost it's like a 70 something around tomatoes which means most people like it but that's kind of low i think for him as far as I'm aware, usually people, and I, I, the, I mean, the other thing was this the big, it's hard to talk about this film without talking about just kind of his style, because as I said, I believe it's very much like the ultimate him. And a lot of people have come forward and they've said that they think it's very showboaty at this point, And they think it's very, he's just, he's, he's become a caricature of himself. And they also, there was that trend on TikTok, which anyone who's our age might've seen, anyone older might not have seen, where you took just random crap and you made it Wes Anderson and you threw the intro to French Dispatch over it, which is a very Wes Anderson's type of music, which by the way, the music, music in this movie is also very Wes Anderson uh and just like that trend a lot of people went it's so he's so easy to copy and he's so easy to do this and so easy to do that how can he be good I don't know I'm just wondering what you think about that like this conversation about his style and what you reckon because I mean obviously you like his style because you like his movies and it's hard it's very much a like a personal like preference sort of thing, there's a level of like surrealism to the way that he um, constructs his films. And, and that, that's true of uh, all, all the films that he's done. Some of his earlier works a bit less surreal. Less, but yeah. And as yeah. as he's progressed, he's become- Yeah, he's once he's become- He's worth more and more surreal. As he's and, powered up his Wes Anderson meter, he's um, become more surreal. I guess like the way that I would look at it is like, he's in a point in his career now where he's made enough of a name for himself and- been successful enough on projects that have been more, I guess, like critically popular or commercially commercially successful. He's now in a position, I think this is true of the French Dispatch as well, is he's doing more stories about stuff that he explicitly wants to tell and less so about what necessarily an audience wants to hear, which whether that's a good thing or not is not something I'm going to say one way or the other. I think it is a good thing. I, I'm going to say straight up it is. I think an artist being unrestrained is a... Oh, actually, now, now that I say that... 
because I've seen multiple cuts of Apocalypse Now and an artist unrestrained is not always a good thing. Look, I think I think usually more so than not an artist without limit, some a creative limit, not I would say if you don't put a budget on something, then that's messed up. Like you get bad movies in that case because you need to have and limitation creates uh, limitation breeds creativity as well. Mm -hmm. But someone who's it's the story itself, what they're trying to say is unrestrained, more like that specific area. I think is good. Not having to censor oneself for the great, the larger community, not having to change what they're saying to fit modern, oh, not modern sensibilities, to fit public sensibilities, that type of thing. You know what I mean? And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying you can just say the N word and stuff like that. I'm more saying like, like the, the weird messages you want to put out about weird shit that two dickheads on a podcast that they're going to say, the point is that you don't understand it. Yeah, I, I, I think I feel like it's a bit of like trying to like, especially when you get to this sort of level of success, you get an opportunity to be more of an, like a artist that, or more of an artist than a uh, than a filmmaker, and, and as a result, you get to have a little bit more integrity with the work that you put out and the stories that you want to tell. And I think that he's definitely at that stage now where he's getting to pick and choose how. And what stories he wants, how what stories he wants to tell, and how he wants to tell them, which is excellent. And I'm jealous. Wish it, wish it could be me. Yeah, I mean, I look, I liked the movie. I've sounded a bit like I didn't like it. I think I did like it. I just don't think it's his one of his best. But I'm still excited to see, keep seeing what he does. Mm -hmm. I still want him to keep putting out films. I will watch his Roald Dahl stuff that comes out on Netflix, even though disappointed it's coming out on Netflix. It's very sim I'm very similar. Like I really enjoy his style. Um, I really enjoy the way he tells stories. Like personally, like part of the reason I like this movie is because I get to like dig into it a bit and think about it a bit, which I always, I, I like to do with movies and narratives and things. Are you trying to tell me that the Meg and Meg to the Trench didn't scratch your literary uh, analysis muscle? Um, it did not scratch that itch you telling me the complexity of what's the other movies we've done i mean everything else can actually kind of have been analyzed <laughs> it's just the make the make two we can make fun of yeah no i mean look it's definitely it's definitely a film that warrants brains the neuron the neurons being fired i was gonna say the brain cells but i figured saying neurons made me sound cooler what did you um i had a question and now i've lost it son of a gun uh, it was something about the cast i was gonna i think there's something along the lines of what did you just in, did you 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 like the performances did you like the cast just in uh, yeah, general and again like wes anderson does this really really consistently is like i know obviously he's not choosing the cast he's not handpicking the cast but i think he is well, I'm sure that he has a very like now, strong now hand he in is. it. Maybe not the start he wasn't, but I think by this point he's able to say you you. He's got his little alumni. That yeah, he, and I, I, it's and then he's he picks one, those, one new person to bring in each time as well. Yeah, he he's one of those um directors that you see people wanting to sign up for his films. Well, they lose money a lot of these actors being in his films because they don't get paid a lot either. They just want to work with him. They want to work with him because. He tells interesting stories in an interesting way and he directs in an interesting way. Um, and that comes across in his film. I've heard it's very friendly to be on set with him. He's a 
He makes it very family orientated. Like everyone eats dinner together. There's no trailer that stars hang out in by themselves. Everyone, they eat at the same table and, and they talk about it and the way things are shot. It's not because I mean, the way he, at least this movie, the cinema sets is very small. So I'm sure it would have been a bit, you could, you can't, you don't have to plan meticulously what shots are getting done you can kind of just say all right how are we going to do this what are we feeling on working on today we're at this area so obviously we're going to use these location shots but that type of thing especially since i guess actually that can lead us in i might have cut you off but i want to lead us into <laughs> set design like i think the the set design was really good I, and you're a bit more visual than i am so i wanted to get like your take on how how everything was created and how like not created, sorry, but how it looked. Again, I think Wes Anderson does this reasonably consistently, but he use he utilizes set design to reinforce the style that he's he's created for himself. And uh, this film's really no exception to that. Everything's like real or almost too real to the point that it becomes artificial and it works really well in this film because we're explicitly told that it's not just a film, it's a play as well. And you sort of get those play set or like um, stage play set elements. A 3D, like you're watching a play in a 3D space versus the 2D space you'd often watch a play in. That's kind of the way I saw it. Yeah. The way that he uses that to interplay with um, between the perspective of watching the play versus the perspective of watching the making of the play, you get things like the different perspectives of this spaceship. So you see it first from underneath and it's huge, um, only to find out that it's the size of a dinner plate. Which is very funny. Which like, it, A, is like funny and like a pretty good gag, but it, it also like is a really interesting use of like, how do you incorporate like set design, prop design, like mise-en-scene into how you tell your story. Um, and I think like he does that reasonably consistently and and quite well with that as well. Like one of the things I really liked about it was that you'll notice that at no point did, um, was the sky not clear. Like this feeds back into sort of like the themes that he's trying to pull across and the idea that it's a play and therefore artificial itself. And Even kind of like a liminal space type thing, like you're not meant to believe it. I mean, obviously it's a play, but you, but you even further, you don't meant to believe it. I yeah. believe it. It's sort of dreamlike. Um, is yeah, it's sort of how it's something that to. they really go heavy into at the end, where you you can't wake up if you don't fall asleep, which freaked me the fuck out. That was spooky. It's like I mean, you're, technically it's correct, but the way you're saying it is very spooky. But like even that, like just the details like that, really nice to see that like the attention put to that. And just like the little gags in there as well. Yeah, he does this consistently as well. The Tupperware with the mum's ashes and like that itself is funny. And then you get a top down shot that shows it's one container of three. The little like machines that all the kids make um all have this sort of like whimsical style to them. It's almost like pulp 50s sci-fi thing as well, which is a style that comes through a lot of, through like, cause obviously it's in the 50s and in, it's aliens. So you get a lot of that, you know, welcome to New Mexico, Roswell type stuff and those 50s sci-fi magazines. But yeah, the pulps and the idea of like a future in the stars kind of thing. There was that sort of post-war like idealism that people had of space and how we could achieve it, like start of the space race and uh, all that sort of stuff, which, yeah, the style it, with that is really reflecting quite well. And then he like likes to play into that sort of whimsical style as well throughout most of his films. And I think like this film does an exceptional job of that as well. No, I totally agree. Do I have anything else I want to talk about? It feels like I do. But I also don't know what it is. You know, it's a movie that I kind of don't want to stop 
talking about. I don't know. It's, it's maybe I should have made notes. That would have been clever. But yeah, I just overall, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be at all. Because I I'd watched maybe thirty percent of a trailer before realizing what I was watching, and then went, oh, you know what? If I don't have to watch this trailer, I won't. Like I'm not a huge guy on when it comes to spoilers. And I'm also not massive when it comes to... Because I know people nowadays are really intense on not watching trailers to make sure that they see nothing. I'll watch a trailer if it comes up. I mean, I've I watched the Mission Impossible 7 trailer 20 times because I was so excited. So I'll watch a trailer. But if it's something like Asteroid City, generally I won't watch it once I've caught like a brief glimpse of what it is just because I think this is one that's I don't think it can be spoiled because I think watching it it's got that level of surrealism that like regardless of what you go into it expecting you're gonna experience something different to that and and I think that's a good thing and like I really enjoy going into a film not having a lot of knowledge about it. I did watch the trailer for this film. I, I saw it as a preview a few months ago, back before it was released in the States as well. And it was just like, a oh, it's a Wes Anderson film and it's about space and it's got a really good cast and or it's got a, it's got a really impressive cast. And that's really all I got out of that trailer. There's no like... I, I, I don't know. I haven't watched all the trailers for this. I haven't. I know the alien appears in one of them. Can't say it definitively, but the themes of the film might reflect this as well. But like you kind of go into it and not really, not really having an idea of what it is. And it works with that quite well. The last little thing I just want to say is because I want to touch back on just quickly what I mentioned before about people saying his style is recreatable. And I would agree that his style is very recreatable, but. I don't think anyone can create anything new in the style. They always, everything I've always seen when they've been saying something, something shot in Wes Anderson style, it's just been, I can recognize shots that have just basically stolen from his films. And I was one, and I put this argument forward in my, in my film studies class, because <laughs> we were having a bit of a debate about, um, him and people were saying you know obviously it's easy to, if you can copy his style, because it was a, it was a discussion about authorship and you know, the author. And is he an auteur if it's so easy to recreate his style? And my little my little spiel was basically it's easy to copy what he's done before because it's so it's so obvious in its style, but I don't think anyone was able to create anything new in his style. Only he can make new stuff in the way that would feel Wes Anderson-y. And I was wondering if what I'd said was bullshit or not, because um I was like, maybe you can just do it. And going into this, I really do think. It's yeah, once again, it's his style, but he's doing new shit with it. It's and I feel vindicated, basically. Um, and I wanted to share that win with all of you. <laughs> I, I know like whenever I've talked to anyone about this TikTok trend, because it really frustrated me because one of the things that like what lots of people take away from Wes Anderson is like, oh, he's got a really specific cinema, like cinema, like filming style. But every time I saw one of those, like videos on TikTok, like once you're describing, I always felt like they're missing some of what makes a Wes Anderson shot look like a Wes Anderson shot. And that often comes down to set design, as we were talking about before, but also he writes dialogue really, really well. And every single one of those um, shots, like one of those like TikToks and things had zero dialogue. And I always went, took it, like came out of, or not came out of watching them, but like watched them and sort of went, I get how you're trying to impersonate this, but it doesn't feel authentic because like you're missing some of the key 
elements that make his style unique. I, d- I definitely agree because one TikTok even broke it down a bit and he didn't even talk about all the other stuff you just talked about then, but like the um, set design and and dialogue and all that. But they basically said, look, you guys are just being dickheads because you're not even utilizing a lot of the camera movement that he uses. He doesn't stand still. He moves. He, and a lot of people, a lot of people just did still shots of like framing things the way he would frame it on an opening but then they would never do the movement of revealing new information that he would do. And he he loves a pan. He loves a he loves dolly. a pan. He loves the. He loves a tracking shot, like a. He, he loves the shots which make artificial depth. And there's actually when this trend was really big, he didn't add for American Express. I think I remember it. Yeah, it was funny. <laughs> the whole shot, the whole ad is one shot of him on the dolly track. Um, talking about how it's like, yeah, you can replicate myself, but use like use movement and then something, something American Express. But it was very funny. I actually, I, I thought I watched it and I thought, is this fake? And then it turned out it was real <laughs> and it's not to like completely rip up. I just think it's awesome that he can take fun of, make fun of himself as well. That's pretty cool. But yeah, I, it's been, it's been 40 minutes. We've discussed this film for 40 minutes. I, we're going to have to cut some stuff out. We stand Wes Anderson in this household of the blockbuster household. The potty house. The potty house. The potty house. The potty house. We're calling it the potty house. Welcome to the potty house. What would you rate it? Uh, I have three whip pans and half of a whip pan, but then a slow return to the original shot out of five. That's 3.5, if that doesn't make sense. (laughs) I have four pots of land bought in the desert. For ten dollars uh, out of five, that's a steal. It, it was like I'm sitting there going, like, yeah, ten dollars in quarters. Like, what's they like? If you like adjust that for inflation, it's a fifties. That's still like pretty cheap from one of them. I was, I was going to say actually, I, I mentioned before that my biggest laugh was the uh, the Jeff Goldblum being an alien in the credits thing. I lie. My biggest laugh would have been the the real estate vending machine. That was probably and Steve Carell, we, who we haven't there's mentioned so many, at all. There's so many very funny. We haven't mentioned in this. Like it, 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 it's it's really hard to because like a lot of these actors are really great and they're in the film for like between like a handful of scenes and one. Um, like obviously we touched on Margot Robbie. Um, Steve Carell plays a really important role in this, and we have barely touched on him at all. He's he's someone I find who can be a bit irritating as well. I thought he was really funny in this. He because he's not Steve Carelli in this either. He's very straight man. He plays like a straight, not a straight man. He plays the straight man in this kind of a little bit, and he's very good at it. It's very funny. <laughs> so yeah, you got that. Um, I don't think we talked about Tilda Swinton at all. I really love Tilda Swinton. I think she's a great actor. Um, she plays like the scientist is sort of like a minor character in in the film. The way that she comes across really um, suits Wes Anson's style really well. And I really hope to, I'd I'd really like to see more of his stuff as well. She was in Grand Budapest and she was also in, she's she's common. common Common-ish. In his roster. She's common-ish. I don't think she's ever played proper big roles though. We, We also just didn't mention at all the kid, the, 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 I don't know what rank he was, but the guy who's helping out, Jeffrey Wrights, who's who's um the kid from the the, the bellhop from, Grand, from Budapest. Uh, Grand Budapest, 
and F- also from Flash the new from Spider-Man the new films. Spider-Man um, films. I think we might have briefly touched on Maya Hawke as the like teacher of these like religious like kind of like Christian. Christian. I, there was some specific denomination that I can't remember. Not kind of like they are Christians. And like yeah, we briefly touched on Brian Cranston as the presenter of the TV special, and he's just sort of there in a handful of scenes, and he's does a good funny. job. Like yeah, and it, it, it's um the way that it's written and the way that he Wes Anderson writes for his cast and directs his cast is is very funny and not in a I'm laughing the whole time throughout this film but in a I'm sitting here having a chuckle for most of the film but is he still able to get those like dramatic moments to land as well so look you know what we've already given our ratings we should probably move to the outro Mitch I know you want to do the outro but there's something important that we have to do first I think I know exactly what it is, and I've already incorporated it into my outro. Unless, oh wait, hold on, no, sorry, is this fan mail? Oh, this is not at all what I would have incorporated into my outro at all. We gotta do like a little like sound, like do 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 fan mail. I I mean, I've, the sound of me getting a point is the point sound, so it needs to be you now, because otherwise, it's just me sounds of me making weird noises. Yeah, I'm gonna be quiet. Three, two. Do, 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 do. Fan mail for the blockbuster party. I need you to put more. Um, now nah, again, more oomph. I know it's um eleven in the morning, but you need to just go. Argh, do 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 do. Fan mail. Come on. Do 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 do. Fan mail. Oomph. All right, that wasn't. Oh, fuck again. I won't interrupt this time. I didn't realize you were doing a little woof at the end. Also, that wasn't the um, melody we described, but you go off, sis. Fan mail. Are you done? Is that it? Oh, for fuck's sake. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever, we're continuing on. Fan mail, let's go. Play the the clip. Fan mail. I have a fan mail from... Fan or hate? Um, yes. Good. I have a fan mail from... I'm gonna I'm gonna call them AM. Oh, I know it is. I mean, no, I don't. No, I don't. This is someone I've never heard of before in my life. And it's titled, "I hope you meet the same fate as Amelia Earhart." Eaten by coconut crabs. Hello, I will be unsubscribing from this podcast due to Max's disrespect towards crabs. <laughs> Max claims the crab in Meg Two: The Trench wasn't doing anything; it was just there. <laughs> In reality, the crab was doing something. It was very important and significantly improved Meg to the trench, as it solved the largest issue with the previous installment. Not enough crabs. Yes, Mitchell, you're doing amazing sweaty. Oh, I am quite sweaty, it's true. Uh, PPS, unlike the Japanese spider crabs that the crab from Meg to the trench appears to be based on, the coconut crabs that girl boss their way through Amelia's ear heart, Amelia <laughs> ear heart, aren't true crabs. This is actually a case of nature converging on the ideal form. The crab. Long live oh, yeah. our carciniastic, carciniastic queens. Yeah, I get it. PPPS. So, oh my goodness. Both squids and octopi have beaks. This, yeah, my dad uh, told me that one. also bothered me. Yeah, my dad told me that both squids and octopodes have 
Octopodes, whatever. Have does that mean you have to raise your your review though? Pay 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 s. Oh, fuck me. All right. Yep. Have either of you had a dream about the other? Yes. Yes, I have. What was the dream, Mitchell? You trapped me in a room. <laughs> you made me. My brain didn't come up with Sonic the Hedgehog. It came up with some random insert of Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> And you made me play about three to five games of Sonic the Hedgehog. And I kept begging you to leave so that I could eat something. So I was getting really hungry because it'd been days. And you kept saying, oh, Matt Mitchell, Mitchell you got to finish this last level and then you can eat. And you kept saying that over and over again. And you never let me eat ever. And then we had sex. It was great. Um, <laughs> now, how much of that is true? I'm going to leave it up to the listener's imagination all of it all of it was true oh, uh, how about you ever had a dream of me um i had a dream where it was my birthday and you'd organize the parade that would never happen and like it was like a full parade with like a brass band and everything and um it was like at some sporting like club where there was like an outside bit in like a club room that's crazy and the parade was on the in the outside bit, and I'd gone into the club room because it was too noisy. And then you were in a cake. I was in the cake. Was I naked? No. Ah. You were, like, clothed. You were regular, normal clothed. I was going to say, it's like, sexy clothes or normal no, clothes? No, just, like, regular. I think you were wearing, like, a flannel or something. I do sometimes wear flannel. And you popped out of the cake, and you realized I wasn't there, so you came inside the clubhouse in a different cake. I had two cakes. At- God, I'm prepared. <laughs> and you, you said to me, like, you all right? And I'm like, yeah, it was just noisy. I mean, I think I woke up. That's actually, that could have been something that actually happened besides the point that I would never organize a parade for you. But, beyond, but that actual, that interaction at the end is very us. Um, does, does that mean that since you based your rating of Meg to the trench off of how many animals actually did something, do you now need to raise your rating of Meg to the trench to a four out of five? Well, okay, so as much as this dear listener argues that the crabs weren't doing anything and that in reality it was doing something, it was having being there for having more crabs. I would argue that being there for having more crabs is not doing something. We're going to get more hate mail. I, I would argue, yes, more crabs is good. Is being there, being a crab, doing something? I think it is merely existing. Is merely existing not enough for you? No. Oh. That explains a lot. Yeah, my dad told me about the beaks. He's a biologist by trade. So, yeah, he 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 thought we were stupid. We are stupid. Also, I do appreciate the little comment about the how nature always goes towards crabs. It's true. There's a few different evolutions of different creatures that have just ended up at crabs completely unrelated to each other. Pretty nifty. Uh, good meme. Good bio, bio meme. That's the fan mail for this week, right? We don't have any more? That's all That's all the fan mail for this week. So this has been the Blockbusted Podcast. I've been Mitch. I've been Max. Uh, and you can send us questions, reviews, and more to hate mail, like the one we just received, at blockbustedpotty at gmail.com. That's potty spelled P-O-D-D-I-E. We are also now on Twitter, or X, whichever one you want to call it. Uh, you'll find us at the username at double B potty. That's B B P R double D I E. And I'm going to ask you listeners this week, 
to keep the floodlights on your roof turned off. Uh, they blind the aliens and they make it, they, they crash them. It's, it's a hazard. You need to stop doing that. So turn your floodlights off at night. Stay safe out there. Don't do that. Don't be safe. Live your life to the fullest. Make sure you're listening to Walk Busted while you do it. Yeah. Next week, love in its purest form. Two bros staring at each other while I talk about films. Like every week. <laughs> Can you put um, Kalos Whispering at the end? Like, we won't get shot. If it's, only, if it's less than 10 seconds, we can't get um, hit with copyright. That's the law. Do 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 do.